right, well, let's talk about the Machinations arc now. That was kind of uh, interesting in that the actual last couple of arcs were almost like mini arcs. There were sort of several things within. Um, but I, I don't know, it was kind of interesting for me because Machinations was the first arc where we actually had prior knowledge as players and characters about roughly what we were going to do in that session. You know, we had that sort of plan beforehand and then kind of executed it. Like, did, did you find that changed the way you approached that particular game? Not really for me, but that's more to do with the fact that I think... Um potential as a character as a planner so i think that the idea of having a plan is just like mm. well of course like this, this is what we have right we, we like or at least in her own internals she always has it may not be a good plan but it's like some form of plan of how things are gonna go doesn't always work to be clear sometimes yeah. everything goes to hell in a handbasket but sometimes i throw you some loops Sometimes you throw Harold's Make mother at me. Like, yeah, you know, it's fine. Because <laughs> I just kind of like, I approach every episode and just like very much as Meredith would any sort of thing in her life and just like take it as it comes. I don't think she ever has a plan, to be fair. And I think it's similar for me as well, actually. It's funny that even though, you know, we did kind of know what was going to, at least the first part of the arc, we were kind of aware of what would happen. But oh yeah, yeah I suppose yeah. that it, it doesn't really matter in a lot of ways because you know you're playing as you know it it's Harold who's doing these things, not me, and so really yeah. you're just sort of always kind of reacting as as a character rather than you know real putting any real planning into the session. And you know obviously you, we only knew a certain amount of what would happen anyway. You know once we got to say the Adventurers Guild or. Um, you know, the library. We didn't yeah. really know what was going to happen, I think, from there. So it wasn't really like a huge change mm. from the norm. Yeah, I think it's also one of those things where because it was such a bitsy arc, like we sort of did bits and pieces here and there. Um, mm. It never I, I never felt like the story got away from us, but also it got away from us in a way that was good. Like mm. it wasn't that everything dissolved into chaos. It was that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. We tried to execute a plan that was thought through in some respects. Um, and in, in many ways, mm. you executed that plan. There were just unforeseen mm. consequences. Other complications that um, were either foreseeable or not, depending on your um, perspective, I mm-hmm. guess. It was kind of nice in this arc as well to get back to some like good old fashioned sleuthing, I think. Um, how how did you two find that? Because personally, I, I, I like a good mystery uh, as a player, so it was really fun, um, you know, working through that. Um, like, how, how do you folks find that compared to, like, other elements that we do? I think for me, the thing that I like the most is interacting with interesting characters, and I think we got a lot of that in the nature of it being sleuthy, is that we did interact with a bunch of different people and have a yeah. bunch of things happen. So I think for me that's probably more to do with it mm. like and this is no color on on uh ben at all choices wise but like i like getting our hands on like one or two npcs who are like about a very particular thing so for example the um the two chemists in the lab like they're on the same page they're thinking together they're doing mm. the thing together um and it then means that we can come in with our character perspectives and be like cool now we have we know that there's sort of two sides of this conversation you're not having like you're not having to sort of figure out everyone's side of the 
of the discussion. It's like, cool, this is a thing. Now I can kind of like work you out and get the information I want out of you and then I can go do the other thing, you know, that I can run in, run into, mm-hmm. you know, whomever else. Yeah. Like Raffi. Run into Raffi and be like, ah, oh, well now I've got to deal with this other problem, but like now I can just like get my hands on Raffi for a bit and whatever, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm a very reactive player. I don't plan a lot. Mm. Which I think matches well with the character. And I, I tend to kind of just dive in headlong and go with whatever. Um, so I like playing very like fast-paced kind of action-y sort of sequences, I guess. Like mm. combat I find really fun. But I also, I don't know, like I, I really enjoy stretching my muscles with, you know, like sleuthing and improv and that kind of stuff as well. And the role-playing has been really fun as well. There are some great Raffi Meredith moments yes, in that arc. There are, and I think as well, like towards the end when she's talking to the the, the man in red. Yeah, there were some really fun moments in that for me as well. Yeah, well, we'll definitely yeah. get back to that because that was that was mm-hmm. really cool. Um, I mean, talking talking about Raffi. I mean, I think this is the first time we've yep. seen him since essentially the first arc. Um, I'm kind of curious because I personally thought about Rafi as a tool, but never really suspected he would be involved until he kind of was. Until like, we took him with, with us. Like yeah. Obviously, as soon as like he was being accosted by the dinosaur, I'm like, it was you, I bloody know it. But right up until that moment, <laughs> I was like, well, Rafi's part of the guild. Surely he could help us in some way. Like, did any of you have suspicions that Rafi would be behind the sort of... The steelage, as it oh, were. I had said to Ben at some point, and I do not remember precisely when this conversation happened, that uh, Raffi was one of the characters I wanted some more time with in-game. Um, mm. So I was very... I, I think I was like, I doubt that the only reason Ben is putting Raffi back in here is, uh, like, as a simple, you get to talk to him now, um, because that doesn't line up with... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the way Ben takes the things we want and decides to mess with us <laughs> for. Like, yeah. So I think I probably, yeah. I, and I didn't tell either of you that that's something I'd mess kind with of this in the best way. said. I'd said I wanted more Rafi and a bit more Nora and like a bit more of the people we'd already met um, just because I felt like we were meeting lots of people. Mm. And I was like, but I, wa- I want more time to get inside the heads of the NPCs that we've been introduced to. And that's because that's the kind of player that I am. Um, mm. And so... Yeah, when when you put Raffi on the table, I was like, Ben, Ben, what are you doing, Ben? <laughs> but Potential doesn't know that, so I'm like, mm. <laughs> so I think I'm yeah. yeah, I probably am a bit of a yeah. different, but mm-hmm. only because I knew going in. Did anyone's opinion of Raffi change as a character um, by the end? I didn't like him before, and I don't like him now. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> Potentially, like, Strong like she, 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 she likes him for the purposes that she's using him for, and like, and learning from him, and has no sort of no like rose-colored glasses about the fact that he's a rogue that she met in a, you know, sewer who wanted them to go and steal something. Like, you know, that's her perspective is very much like, hey, this guy is no bueno, but mm. also. I am not here to judge him. I'm here to get what I want, mm-hmm. um, need, etc. So, um, 
you know, the, their lives are going to cross over the way their lives are going to cross over. So she's not looking at him with rose-colored glasses on, I don't think. So. What about you, Ross? There was a moment where he kind of had a, a conversation with you about the efficacy of your uncle uh, raiding tombs. Yeah, I appreciated that because, one, I think Harold's arc is trying to overcome his privilege a bit, but he still doesn't realize, for the most part, how well he has everything. And I don't think he's realized how uh, one-dimensional hero worship is just yet. And I think that was a good moment for him to have that challenged. And I, I actually think as well that that argument probably raised his estimation of Rafi as a person as well. Um, because, you know, in, in our first interaction with him, uh, the incompetence is the only thing that Harold really latched onto. And we see that, right? Like, Harold's very condescending at the start to yeah. uh, to Rafi. But by the end, you know, Harold is the one who's like, where's Rafi? What happened to, you know, he's the one who actually, when the everything goes off, he's the one who's the most concerned. He's He's like... You know, so I think he actually, in some ways, grew a little bit of an attachment to Rafi. I don't think his valuation of his competence has increased necessarily, but <laughs> I think he has a lot more empathy for him, perhaps. Uh, oh, it's a little bromance, budding bromance. Yeah. yeah. So I definitely, you know, as a player, I'm definitely keen to see a bit more of Rafi. I think he's he's an interesting a mix of of things you know to to sort of play with in a lot of ways so i'm curious to what meredith thinks of rafi mm. because he feels to me like almost the opposite of her but yet like very similar i don't know that she has strong feelings about him i think she she sees him as a little bit of an annoyance mm. like she gets irritated by him quite easily because i think we saw that in the um the sewer when we meet him as well mm. when she's trying to get the the book off him and is annoyed that, you know, like she can't do what she wants to do and he is a bit of a thorn in her side, I think. Yeah, and like Meredith yeah. really got straight to the point with just like cutting the satchel open, right? I mean... <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%, yeah. No, nah, she gets really frustrated and is like, stop beating around the bush. Like... Mm-hmm. Be less <laughs> of a Do the thing, just do the thing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now that he's learned how to rope. Yeah. yeah. Now that he's learned, just no, don't do it. Well, I mean, obviously at the end of all of that, um, we had a plan. The plan sort of was going okay. And then it wasn't all of a sudden. Uh, ben blew yeah, us up. So I'm kind of curious, like, did that moment have any impact on, like, your character's perception of adventuring? Because... Clearly, it had a big impact on Harold, for instance. Like, he was probably for the first time in the in the entire campaign, like, genuinely angry. So, mm. I mean, I, I didn't really, like, I didn't make this explicitly obvious in the, the game, but I was rolling wisdom checks to see if Harold would think about the fact that there were injured people behind him. And if he failed, he was just going to go after that tabaxi. You know, like, nothing was going to stop him at that point. Um, obviously he, he did pass his own wisdom checks cause he has a high wisdom. Um, but I, in that moment, you know, like he was extremely angry. Uh, so I'm kind of curious how your characters reacted to sort of the situation. I mean, I don't know how much to go into because we don't know very much about Meredith's backstory yet. Mm. Um, 
and I know about it. Good. And Ben knows about it a little bit. But I think a lot of her reaction kind of stems from where she's come from a little bit. Mm -hmm. So she was very upset. She was not happy. Yeah. And you can kind of see that like in her reactions to things like necromancy and that kind of stuff as well. Mm. Um, Yeah. She doesn't tolerate it. And she was not happy about it. I mean, we actively see Potentia's reaction Mm. to it in game. Mm. Um, She was not keen on the idea of like being an adventurer before. Mm. And she sure as heck isn't keen on that idea now. Like um, she didn't come, you know, from effectively the other side of the world to a university campus to do anything other than study this thing that she's interested Mm. in functionally. Right. She's been traveling. She's done some of her own adventure type things that we are yet to, to discuss in the game. And, you know, she doesn't like if she wanted to be an adventurer TM, mm. then like she she'd do that because she's already, you know, like she's in a position where she was kind of out traveling a bit anyway. Um, she there are reasons that she hasn't like said no. I'm not helping any of the three like the other two of you. That's that's. Uh, that's different to the idea of her refusing to be actively an adventurer. Her mm. helping mm-hmm. with people's adventures is different, different in her mind yeah. to her being an adventurer, mm. um, I think. And she's not that ways inclined. Um, and Ben will be aware of you know her family history. Mm-hmm. Again, she would very easily have been an adventurer if she wanted to be uh there are ways and means of that of having happened but that's not who she is at all Mm. um unless you're looking at adventuring as a if you look at it to a like modern real world type context as like travel Mm. rather than tourism that idea of like going to places and experiencing things is one thing dealing with people firing back is not the same Thing yeah, for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. right, it's. I think it's just very mm. different. I know we will get some more of that, which I know hasn't gone to mm. air yet. Um, in coming coming yes, weeks, absolutely. All right, time for some poll questions about machinations. Yay! Um, so actually, this one's for you, Ben, and um, I think a lot of people probably mm-hmm. related to this or at least like enjoyed this. So Paul says, I love the idea of how Brass Band speaks. How did you come up with that? I mean, because for me, that was a really nice interaction in the game because it was a little unusual, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's... Okay, so I know about kenku and how they speak mm. um kenku npcs are often really tricky because i have to try to imitate people like i i've have played in a game with the kenku npc and watching the dm try and imitate the players with like limited vocabulary mm. seems really tricky because it's a lot to keep in your head about what people have said and what actually happened was i was messing around with a like uh instrument synthesizer mm just an app on my phone to try and see if I could produce some music in a, a simple way. And what happened was I found these these brass instruments on this app and I'm like, that's actually 
that's really interesting. I just kind of messed around with it until I realized, oh, I can actually almost simulate speech with mm. this. And then the idea of this, this Kenku who grew up around a bunch of brass band instruments it's and like that is sweet. what they, they mm. imitate. I suppose it's a bit like a lyrebird, right? Like that's kind of the yeah underlying sort of yeah. maybe inspiration for Kenku as well. Yeah. Oh, I think also um, crows and ravens, a lot of them can imitate sounds really mm. well. So yeah, definitely. It's an, cool, inter- it's an interesting clever. race. They are. We have lyrebirds up race, on the mountains. And I, I just wanted to have a, a fun NPC that could... I, I get like just with the the common room episode we we just had with Kira Lee talking about characters who don't vocalize in other ways. Mm. Same kind of situation. Having a character that you don't necessarily know what's going through their mind, but you can get glimpses just with mm. non non verbal mm. cues mm. or non standard verbal cues, I should yeah. say. I mean, let's talk about the fireball because obviously, like as players, we all had. Um, our own reactions with that. But I mean, I'm, I'm curious as a DM decision, uh, and I'm kind of speaking, paraphrasing on behalf of Paul now as well. Like, it's a kind of, like, that's a bold decision. Like, there is, there are, a ch- there was a chance with, with different dice rolls that any number of the characters could have gone down, uh, with Fireball because we were level, <laughs> especially four. me. Yes, especially the <laughs> wizard. So I, I very much, um, had a build up through that mm-hmm. fireball that I, I like ratcheted this tension as the, the character got caught and you didn't know what, what was going mm-hmm. to happen but you got the impression something was coming and in terms of like the, the spell damage for fireball I knew that if I rolled maximum I don't believe I could have killed any of you outright mm-hmm. you all were on maximum or close to maximum yeah. health potential I don't think I would have killed you outright. Uh, I don't know because I now, now we've leveled up. I can't remember what my hit points I, I, were then. Um, I think, I, I think you could have, but like you would have had to roll exactly max damage or something. Cause I think yeah, I did for, the calculation on the day yeah, and I was like, like yes. Um, I, without spoiling too many things that character was pushed to a limit that was too much Mm -hmm. for them and they reacted in a very strong and dangerous way and i i cannot fully explain the actions now Mm. because there are future story things um but it was it was a big move that uh I, I had kind of been teasing that this organization was big and dangerous. Mm. And up until this point, you, you had had some, some interaction with them, like with the golem up on the mountainside. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing that showed the extent to which this organization, or at least this individual as part of that organization, mm. was willing to go. Aside from the conversation that I'd had with Bonin that I hadn't shared yes. with anyone yet. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously something that I don't think gets like thought about enough in D&D especially, but maybe in other TTRPGs is like just how above average the players are, even at level one, you know, like a level one character mm-hmm. is seen as someone extraordinary in society um, in a lot of ways. So 
most of the people there uh, in that cafe were civilians. And this is kind of like into like the question that Paul had, like, how did you, how are you going to handle NPCs that dropped to zero HP? And did all of the people in the cafe survive? And I think we briefly touched on this earlier, but. So, yeah, no, there were people who were dropped to instant Mm. death, like beyond maximum HP into the negative, which for D&D, if you drop below your maximum HP into negative in a like a single thing, your character dies. They don't get to make death saving Mm. throws. They are done. Dead, dead. And so it has not necessarily hit all of the players that that was a thing that has Mm. happened because like the cafe was full of people bustling around and then this fireball goes off and there are people strewn about but there aren't ac- there weren't actually as many people on the ground as there were in the cafe because mm-hmm. that fireball obliterated mm. people i think meredith would know i think potentia probably recognizes it meredith probably re- i'm not sure if harold because he was kind of like out mm. the door um potentia but- would realize for reasons that are not related to mm-hmm. anything that the other two players have experienced or talked about yeah and i Mm -hmm. I think the other thing and uh, i actually really enjoyed this moment and not just from playing but um when i mastered this episode uh i spent i spent as long on that three four minute scene as i did on the rest of the episode and that's when mr red comes in uh Mm -hmm. you did such a good job with that music and and the effect yeah i because that was such a cool moment when we were playing it. I really wanted to hammer home to the audience that this was an extraordinary piece of magic. Um, so yeah, the, the the time dilation in the music, the piano, even like the way the reverb created a sense of space, like all of that was about really focusing in on the the sort of extraordinariness of of, of this. But like the description and and. The, the reason I say all of this is because Ben gave me such a solid framework to do this um, with the description of, of everything that was happening. Um, so it was it was easy to come up with those ideas, you know, and then implement them. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, like this, the, the sort of pseudo riddle and all of that. Like, where where did those ideas come from um, in, in sort of bringing in this this character in that way? Mr. Red is a character that I have not used previously, but I had come up with. And they're a character that I know how they walk. Mm. Like I, I know how they enter a room. And they are someone who is very hmm, they have a they have had they have had and do have a large part to play in in some of the larger narratives in my hmm. world, but in many ways behind the scenes. Yeah. And they are a very interesting character that has a lot of... There are a lot of sides to Mr. Red in, in what they do. And, and just even how they speak is a, a tricky thing to work with sometimes mm. um but they are yeah they're, they're a fun character mm. i i enjoyed playing mr yeah. red i think you can scene. tell mm. i think you can 100 percent tell how much you enjoy playing mr red like i think like yeah. we know which characters you really enjoy mm. playing yeah. by the way you play them and we we know mm-hmm. which characters you like 
didn't really want to play this character today. Then that's to do with us knowing you, not mm, to do with mm. like your portrayal of them in any sense. It's us being like, oh, oh, Ben's having fun right now. <laughs> I was really, really surprised uh, Meredith's reaction to Mister mm. Really, <laughs> because he is such a, a, a lyrical wordsmith kind of character. He's and an eloquent Mer- bard. <laughs> He's not. And, like. <laughs> and, and Meredith, as as a, a bard, a storyteller, just got so frustrated oh, with him. she hated him. Yeah, really hated him. I think, I think one of the things that I really like about Meredith's character is that she doesn't take any nonsense and she sticks up for people. Mm. And when she sees something unjust happening, she will 100% call it out. And I think that stems from me wanting to be that kind of person, you know? Mm. I think you are that kind of person, Joe. I think you just don't. I just don't Thanks, think that you. Maybe you're not quite so loud about it as Meredith <laughs> is, but I don't, think, I don't think that that's not something that you are as a person. Oh, thank you. Couldn't, couldn't play her as convincingly Thanks, if it friend. wasn't a little bit of you. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, she's, she's definitely, I think she's definitely got that kind of, very ingrained sense of right and wrong and she saw that this guy was obviously not doing the right thing and was obviously in you know like responsible for this horrible thing that in her mind came out of nowhere was completely unjustified um and so she was like no i'm not gonna tell you you're being an idiot right now hold me back yeah well what was that like i mean i mean because that was kind of such a turn from what we've seen from meredith in the past like did it it does it does it feel well yeah that's kind of what i want to know like does it feel different to to play or is it just an extension of like a character that you've just been building for you know the months now that we've been doing this i think it's just like a logical extension for me it's always really fun to play characters like that as well because particularly like getting back to the whole um international women's day kind of discussion as well like Mm. women are often told to sit down and you know, like, oh, you know, it'll be fine. Just be gentle, be nice kind of thing. Whereas I think there's just something really nice and delicious about playing a situation like that mm. where you're like, no, this is not right. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to, like, I'm three feet tall, but good grief, I'm going to, like, shake my finger at you and give you a dressing down. Like, this is not okay, yeah. you know? So that was really fun for me. Yeah. Oh, it was such a great moment, And he was too. really frustrating. <laughs> In yeah. an excellent way. Yeah. Yeah. Because he kept on talking in riddles and, oh, my goodness, just no. Say what you mean. It was great, Ben, but no. <laughs> 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 the fact that you're getting that reaction out of me is, you know, I think it's a testament to how good that character is, you know? Hey, Ross here. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Common Room. The final episode in this little run will be going out next Monday. And then after that, on Mondays, we will be airing the Hit Dice Heroes one-shot special that myself and Debbie took part in that was DM'd by Kiralee. Really excited for you to listen to that. It was a lot of fun. Remember that you can head to dndoctorates.com to submit messages and questions to the crew. And you can also check out merch.dndoctorates.com if you want to help support the show by buying some of our awesome merch. And now, back to the episode. So one of the things we also find out about Meredith 
finally, I think, in this episode is that um, you were part of a, or are a part of the Adventurers Guild already mm-hmm. uh, yeah. at the Monastitch Guild. And mm-hmm. um, that was a cool moment because obviously, like, there were those little breadcrumbs previously um, that yeah. the, the audience could pick up on. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess Paul specifically wants to know whether you're willing to say it or not, uh, mm. you know, what your guild seal looks like and also what kind of quest you might have gone on in the past. Oh, interesting. Um, mm. I can answer that one in two parts. Mm. First part, I haven't thought about it, mm-hmm. so I will get back to you. <laughs> Second part, I'm keeping that one under my hat for now. Nice. The first part when we can, we'll uh, upload an image of the different seals and stuff to the Dean mm-hmm. Doctorate's wiki pages when we get mm-hmm. an opportunity, mm-hmm. which might not be soon, but like eventually that kind of stuff we'll try and put up on dndoctorates.com when yeah. we can. Um, I also want to say a shout out to my brother who came up with the name of the Monostitch Guild. Yeah, I love it. I think it's really good. Because um, it's a guild full of bards and a monostitch is a poem that consists of a single line. Mm-hmm. It's very clever, Which, and I love it a lot. It's 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 perfect for a a, a adventurer's guild that maybe has a bunch of short characters in mm. it. It's a short poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. So shout out to my brother for that one. I will say she was in it back in um back at home in Condwell Grove. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, we shall see. And um, I certainly have plans to produce some slightly different material that's like prequelish. Uh, at some point, so there are certainly... I think there are many plans in the works at the moment Mm -hmm. for for side Mm -hmm. content. We definitely have uh, other mediums to conquer as well, I think, and uh, yeah, we'll Mm -hmm. see. Uh, I mean, we're all very busy though, so it it, it really depends how much time. Unless, you know, unless you're someone who's into like, say, character animation or uh, video editing, you know, if you want to get involved, maybe uh, give us a DM. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, or someone who wants to pay us full time to yeah. do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in the works. Um, all right. So let's get on to some uh, potential questions from this episode. Um, so mm-hmm. I think as players, we know this, but uh, Paul wants to know, does Potentia use her necklace as a spell focus? Um, and if so, yes. what does it look like? In short, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, Yes, she does. As to what it looks like, I can't really describe it because it's one of those things that, like, I, I would have to draw it mm. and and stuff, and and it it's a bit complex because I don't particularly want to put that out in the world yet for backstory reasons, yeah. much as I know that that's a jerky thing that I say all the time. Um, there are reasons that that is not a thing that we get a lot of description of. Yeah. Um, but yes, that is what she uses as a spell focus. Um, when I originally built her, I was tossing up having a component pouch for her, but this makes more sense um, with the way Ben and I kind of determined a few things. Yeah, so. and like we, yeah. we have sort of representations on our Hero Forge models, but like that's based on There's that's a based limit. on what yeah, Hero Forge can give you, right? of course, you know, and, yeah. and and they're representative of our characters, you know. They're they're more like fan art than canon, those models. I will I'll say that. Because yeah. I yeah. think that's kind of the role mm. that they play. Um 
we've all developed them, but we've only developed them with what Hero Forge has available mm. um, to us. For example, mm -hmm. I know that Potentia's boots have changed since the first model oh, we yeah. made because one, Ross kept failing to color them the right color, and two, uh, now she has heels, which is what I'd wanted for her originally, yeah. but Hero Forge didn't have heeled boots. But they, then, yeah, what I wanted but, um, they're the releasing time. a lot of new stuff, so yeah, it's worth checking. Yeah, it's worth it's checking really back. Uh, often and seeing if you can update your characters and stuff as well. Um, if you if you use that, um, like I do a lot for a lot of different things. Um, so what about um, Potentious Familiar? So I I feel like we're not going to get too much on this, but Paul wants to know specifically, like, have they always been an owl? No, that I can say because um, a really actually a really good way that you can tell that is that when she arrived in Fairmasters, she didn't have a familiar. Mm. Um. And if she if they'd always been an owl, she could have dismissed them to a pocket dimension because that's how um, that mm. works, basically. Uh, so the fact that it's an owl, like that she needed to cast or go through the process of find familiar, tells you that. Uh, sorry, and based on her reaction um, at certain points about certain things, uh, and the way that she interacts with her familiar, tells you that they were not always. Um, an owl, mm. um, and I think I might, Ben, I might, tell, I might give a bit of a like insider to potential because I don't actually think this gives away too much um, backstory wise. Uh, when she was a very small mm -hmm. human and well, small elf, <laughs> uh, and first learned find familiar, I think she probably made them a cat mm. so that the cat could curl up on the end of her bed mm. or you know, in her room. So um, hmm. certainly not the, her entire life has has her familiar been enough. This is the last one um, from this arc uh, for Potentia. <laughs> um, how does Potentia feel about the elves from Imperium that have this meetup group? And, um, you know, potentially would she want to associate herself with other elves from Imperium or does Potentia kind of avoid that situation? I don't think she has any particular interest, to be perfectly mm. fair. Um, and I think actually a better indicator of her perspective is probably her interactions with Raymond more than anything mm. else. Uh, in her mind, just because you are an elf does not make you a person worth hanging out yep. with. Um, so sure in future she may choose to do that, um, but I don't think that that's necessarily a good indicator of her want to be friends or acquaintances with anyone um in particular mm. uh i think i think race and people's origins are not necessarily something that she particularly cares about otherwise i don't think she would be friends with the halfling and the human yeah especially given that you know she's been dragged to dwarven mountains and mm. things of that nature at different points i, I think i think if if where someone was from held that strongly with her, I don't think we'd be seeing her the way that we are. All right. Well, Paul had a couple of questions about Harold. And uh, the first one, I think, I don't know how much I've really addressed this, but basically, is there a reason Harold prefers not to use his wild shapes on himself uh, other than when he can prank people as a bear? And like, <laughs> I can answer this a little bit. And I can, all, I think a little bit I'm going to leave on the table because I, th I think that's... Uh, mm going to be interesting to explore the druid who doesn't druid kind of it's kind of like Raffi the rogue who can't <laughs> rogue like Harold is the druid that doesn't really druid but um the druid who can but chooses yeah. not to <laughs> um so th there are definitely some reasons for that 
uh, that are kind of like personal reasons to him. But I think part of it as well is that Harold's quite a cerebral person. And so I think for him, becoming an animal uh, might in some ways take away from that. Like, it, it really depends how strictly you read the rules, but some people uh, like to think that, you know, when you wild shape, that you do take on some of the like the actual mental characteristics of an animal. Like, you still know who you are, but like, you know, instinctually you might take on some of those characteristics. And I think Harold likes a greater sense of control than perhaps being an animal mm -hmm. might allow, um, beyond some of the sort of other reasons that are probably going to come up uh, at some point. But yeah, I think that is one of the reasons. Mm -hmm. He's just... Um, he, he sort of values his own um, mental process a little bit. And, and probably, you know, there, there are reasons for that too. So, um, so it'll be interesting, you know, like why he feels like he can't, you know, give up control in that way. Um, but yeah, that's the reason, uh, essentially. But the, uh, the other sort of Harold questions, I think, are more uh, appropriate for Mascot Madness. So we'll... Um, We'll move on to that because I really enjoyed that arc because in a lot of ways, actually, it was two very distinct stories that kind of melded mm. together. Um, but it was it was nice to sort of resolve them all at the end. Like, I think out of all of the arcs we've done, this is the one that had the biggest build up in, in terms. Yeah, I, I think because we but just because we stuck consecutively to this story compared to like just dragging you along piece by piece. Like, I, I think, um, I think Machinations was the most impactful, but this was the most like tight as a sort of build up to a, uh, like a confrontation in a lot of ways. I still hold the underlibrary, the original underlibrary arc probably a little bit higher, mm. but, but, but probably it's probably up yeah, there for definitely. me for sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of um, kind of a lot of the questions that I have from the audience kind of guide us through the episode. So I'm going to kind of use those mm -hmm. narratively. But yeah. the one thing that I had, which I was curious about, is how you all viewed Trayton's arc. Because speaking for myself, I was kind of hoping that he would have some um, some kind of self-reflection from the events of that arc. But realistically he didn't because he's a privileged ass hat and those i'm sorry but those tens of pe kind of people just tend not to it's just what happens a lot of the time so i think so if you're ever going to use ass hat you really do have to do it in, an, in a british accent yeah so, good job um, but so yeah I, I it was kind of interesting like i think from what i what i as a person was hoping might sort of happen to him but what we got was still really felt really grounded, I think. Uh, and so for me as a player, I was still satisfied by everything that went on. But like, I think I'm always hoping for a redemption arc as a per like, that's just me. I just always hope for the redemption arc. But I think sometimes in good stories, you don't get those. And I actually always appreciate it mm. when authors don't necessarily give the audience exactly what they want, because sometimes it's a much better story when the thing happens that the story dictates, not what you as a viewer or reader is hoping could happen. Yeah, part of me wishes, I don't know that it's redemption that I wanted, but a bit more like 
justice. <laughs> and I don't really know how that, what that looks like in the context of that particular arc, but, um, and that's pro probably again, me drawing on my own like biases when it comes to that stuff is that like, he was, yep. It was a person. He, he, I, I wanted to punch him almost as much as I wanted to punch Raymond. Like, you know, we're, we're collecting a bunch of, of, you know, people I don't like. Yeah. But um, I think a little bit of justice goes a long way. And I think, like, I almost prefer, you know, Raymond getting knocked out at the bard party because um, it felt just. Mm. Um, or I don't know that I felt that, like, justice for what happened with uh, Trayton so much. Suppose we don't actually know fully what the consequences will be for him, though, which is obviously part of the, uh, no. you know, part of the interest there. Or does it give you another opportunity at some point in the future to to deliver some justice? Yeah, well, I mean, that was kind of interesting, <laughs> right? Because we see, we see Harold for the first time call out someone else's uh, sort of privilege, I think. And I think Trayton really offended Harold because he's trying to become someone different. And Trayton is the path that he sees. Like, he sees Trayton as the wrong path. His Archibald went both yeah. the fourth. Well, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> Potentially, I think that's like that Harold sees like Trayton as like the wrong path. And I think because he could so easily become someone like Trayton, that affected Harold a lot mm. because I think... You know, he he doesn't always succeed, but he is trying to, like, steer himself away from that, I think, which is his major arc in a lot of ways. I'd be curious to know what Meredith thought of, thinks of Triton, because they almost come from potentially opposite <coughs> ends of that spectrum. Um, you know, he is just absolutely 100% leaning on his family. Mm. She's potentially almost doing the opposite. Yeah, Meredith is very definitely out on her own. She doesn't have anybody else to lean on back home. She's always got a place to go back home. And she does have family, but they're not financially in a position to mm. help her out. She's making her own way. She's got scholarships and that kind of thing. Um, and is very much relying on her stipend and the adventuring guild, adventurous guild at the moment. Um, coming from a place of privilege myself, I can only really comment on like what my mother's told me. She comes from a very poor background, very poor family. And, you know, often had to like staple her uniform back together because they just couldn't afford to replace it, that kind of thing. So I know a lot about money and not having it from my second hand. Mm. Not really from my own personal mm. kind of point of view. And like Meredith, I don't think is poor. But she, you know, and doesn't come from a poor background, but she comes from, I think, a background where it's a very simple kind of existence and they don't need anything else. Um, kind of think like, I, I keep, I, I don't want to compare it to the Shire, but it's the Shire basically. And she's, you know, come, come from the Shire to the big city. And um, that's a very different way of life. Um, so I think she's still just kind of trying to navigate it, to be honest. And I think her reaction to Trayton was, we didn't like, we didn't really get much of a chance to see it. I don't think I, I really spent much time exploring that, but I would imagine it would have been bewildered 
kind of like, how do you come up with that kind of thinking? Like, I genuinely don't understand where that comes from. Yeah, I don't think she would have got it very well. Yeah. Yeah, because she's from, I yeah, mean, she's from a very community kind of oriented place mm. as well. But I thought, yeah, Triton was kind of an interesting character to like come up against in that way um, in the end. I mean, Potentia actively tries to flirt, like get, flirts her way around him because she knows the kind of person mm. that he is. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious. She's like, okay, me. I know you. Mm. Well, let's get on with some audience questions. Um, Paul has a bunch as normal. Um, so yeah, this one is actually about Harold. Uh, he says, we saw Harold call Aldwin Ethan again. Was it poking some fun or was this a callback <laughs> to the last time he called him Ethan? So, um, well, the fact that Rice can't remember his name. Yeah. So the first time that happens, that was just, I had misremembered his name. Like the human brain is really poor actually at recalling things and, you know, because Aldwin isn't a name that you hear, my brain morphed that into something I was familiar with, which is Ethan. Uh, the second time was a choice by me as a player role-playing as Harold. So Harold wasn't poking fun at Ethan or Aldwin. Um, <laughs> that, but, that was, that, but that was me deciding that Harold hasn't invested enough in him to properly remember his name still and um i think that was more of a role play choice like it like harold wasn't genuinely wasn't trying to poke fun at the guy uh he was he just genuinely doesn't remember his name because well neither did doesn't care to be fair yeah yeah Yeah, i think that's what that was about but i did i did want to bring that forward like that was just a happy accident that um i thought was worth exploring a bit more from a character point of view so uh, and I do like funny. this question because I've I've had to think about this uh, as a sort of someone playing a character. And um, Paul's asking, seeing how Nikolai helped the group so much, uh, has Harold's opinion on him changed over time? And how does he feel about Gregory working with him now? Uh, and this is an interesting question because I can't tell you specifically why, but there are more reasons in the pipeline for Harold to have an opinion about the particular group of people that Gregory works with. Um, but certainly seeing Nikolai spring into action multiple times in defense of the group and also just the public at large in a lot of ways is certainly starting to turn something in Harold, I would think. Um, you know, I think Harold's the kind of person who probably for better or worse, jumps to some pretty strong conclusions about people when he meets them. Uh, and yet he's friends with Potentia. How very strange. Well, the thing is, I think the thing is, though, that, you know, um, Harold's very insightful, uh, I will say. He has a very high passive insight, but sometimes having that can mean that you are more confident in judgments that you might make that maybe you should be less confident about. To be fair as well, knowing what Nikolai is is something that will take time to overcome in terms of mm. trust. Mm. But uh, but also, you know, I think Harold is the kind of character that certainly he values people's deeds over their titles or their words. And so... Um, he, although he's the kind of person who might 
not necessarily like the first impression is strong for Harold, but he's certainly not the kind of person who can't change that opinion if your deeds are worthy enough. And that's the point with him. Like he's very much into what people do, not what people say or, you know, espouse, I think. So, yeah, I, uh, I, but yes, there are some upcoming reasons too why he, he might uh, uh, have opinions about the, uh, the irregulars in particular. So, um, and the last question is about the, the cube costume and wild shaping. So, um, did it take long to come up with that idea? The answer to that is both yes and no. Oh my no. goodness. Nope. So, no. in some ways, <laughs> that was so uh, great. my first, my oh my first thought was, well, sneaking into someone's house is really easy if you're small. And then yeah. I oh. remembered that if you That's read the name. rules of, of wild shaping, it can be yeah. interpreted that anything that you wear morphs into a version <laughs> of yourself. Uh, and so once I had the idea oh, of, of... Spider cube. Yeah, spider exactly. <laughs> does whatever a so, spider yeah, cube once, does. <laughs> once the idea to infiltrate came into my mind, oh, the idea that I could then I sort did. of rewild shape kind of followed. So oh that was God. just one of those things. That was just like one of those classic D&D moments where, I, I, you know, things just oh. clicked into place and the oh rules kind of... I just remember Ben's <laughs> face just being like, what? There were, like there were things you were gonna have to do. I was, I was, I had set up that um, puzzle for you all nope. to solve, and you approached it in a way that I had not anticipated, but was very pleasantly yeah. surprised. Spider cube. But Spider. I mean, those are the kind of moments oh, that I, I, that D and D is a game. Is that's the part oh. I love. Like I'll talk forever about Amazing, role play yeah. and improv and stuff but the, the gaming mm -hmm. aspect sometimes oh, it really comes man. through and that was one of those moments where i was like this game is amazing uh, oh, that was just such a beautiful moment yeah you know every now so and good. then you just get thrown one of those and yeah you know you know whatever opinions people have about D D and its effect on ttrpgs in general you know you can't deny that it just occasionally throws so up good. these moments you know and Oh. I mean, and and we managed to one up the spider cube later in the same oh, yeah. arc. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was. Well, I I got a message from Paul. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or whether it was personally. Basically, being like, I didn't know where you were going to go after the spider cube, and yeah. then <laughs> oh. <laughs> squid. <laughs> Just <laughs> amazing. Oh. Uh. One of my favorite things from that arc uh, actually was the part where nothing was happening um, because we met some really cool characters um, and this kind of like ties into like the questions that Paul has for Joe because we meet Parfait mm. who is like, you know, appropriately chef, chef's kiss, you know. Um, but basically uh, Paul wants to know, like, is it fair to say the easiest way to becoming Meredith's friend is to make food? And what would be... Yes. <laughs> Why? Why? Why, why do you think potentially gave her half yeah. a donut? Like, <laughs> so here's actually an interesting one. Though. Like, what yeah. is um, you know, what are Meredith's favorite foods? Like, are they desserts or are they something else? Like, is it is it some like hearty Conwell Grove meal or? Oh, you've really put me on the spot with this one. <laughs> I think I like speaking from someone who has been watching Meredith consume so many different it's things. It's got to be pastries, right? It's paste yeah. But, I mean, she. 
she she loved the the meal that um was like prepared for you at the barbarian home like oh yes i feel like it's like in my head it's sort of like a home cooked meal with some like good bread Mm. yeah like a like a like a in my brain there's baked goods there somewhere baked goods is definitely a thing and i think it's the i think what she really appreciates is somebody taking the time to cook her food and it's that like act of caring for her and loving Mm. her because they know that she loves food so they're gonna make her a pastry like if somebody goes out to get her a coffee or a pastry or something like that and brings it back oh my goodness you are her best friend forever your your love language is food and actually oh my goodness i'm just thinking about it and thinking about all the times and your love language is food yeah 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 someone went to get me coffee the other day because i was really busy and strung out and they didn't tell me it was going to happen and then they just like gave me coffee and i was like oh my gosh you're the best like i nearly cried anyway um (laughs) yeah yes anywho Julie like noted, folks, if we ever sit on a panel, mm. just uh, just bring uh, Joseph yeah. food. Uh, you'll be and a coffee. best friend so forever. I'm learning things I mean, about yeah, myself. There are some some tricky tricky food things for Joe to, yeah. to navigate through to prov- gift mm. her food. Yeah, get her a voucher it. to a particular food place, and I'm sure she'll find yeah. something. Mm. Oh, mate, yeah, we're learning things about ourselves. Anyway. Yeah. So I, I actually kind of like this one. Um, what did Meredith find more hysterical? The line about Potentia taking the hand home, which I, that was something that happened in uh, Machinations, <laughs> or was it uh, when yep. uh, she couldn't read? That's right. I couldn't, could I? Because I, I interpreted had a jelly bean. Yes. not being able to read as, like, panic laughter. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is so terrifying. No, I'm just going to laugh. because it's hilarious. Um, no, it was the not being able to read thing. I think that, yeah. was, that was hysterical. Yeah. That was very yeah. funny. Yeah. I'm going to take the moment as well to say that Jelly is spelled J-E-L-L-I. Nice. Oh. They are a, they are, should, they are a, per, they're a person. Ah. Jelly, J-E-L-L-I. I should change that on my uh, in my inventory then because mm. um, that's not mm. what it says right mm. now. Mm. Yeah. J-E-L-L-I. They are, they are a a creator of magic being interesting because i still have half a dozen because mm. <laughs> potentious accidentally a hoarder yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i have to be careful every time i introduce some obscure magic thing potentious like mine. Doink. <laughs> i mean she's a wizard you gave her magic things duh <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah she's not gonna eat it but she'll 100 percent take them for mm. later Find some someone you need to distract. Would you like a magic thing? <laughs> you go. Yeah, that actually find could a ghost. Be interesting. Let me to pull out my spectral grappling yeah. rod from many arcs ago that you've forgotten about, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was kind of an interesting one because this is actually, in some ways, the the biggest battle that we've had. Because um, a lot of the battles we've had have been a, a really against more like singular type opponents, whereas this had multiple people in the fray uh you know and we were all kind of involved in a much more dynamic way and then the result of that is obviously that um meredith gets sort of taken down at one point yeah Um, and obviously that was um i don't remember whether you had to make one or two death saves but obviously that's the first time i think playing that you've had to do that yeah pink two yeah yeah um yeah i was 
I was okay, actually, weirdly. Because mm. I remember Kate sent me a message and was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, safety tools. Safety tools um, indeed. Mm. No, it was lovely. Thank you for the check-in. Um, yeah, no, I was fine about that. I mean, yeah. she's tiny. I think she's going to get squished occasionally. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be as fine if she dies because, oh, my goodness, I'm real attached. Mm. But, <laughs> yeah. No risk, no reward. Exactly. Yeah, I think no that's risk, it, no right? Reward. Like playing this game, you just have mm-hmm. to sort of, yeah, roll with the punches like that sometimes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> roll mm-hmm. with the punches. Hey. Hey. There's no barbarians in the party. We're not hitting anything. Oh, I know. We really need a tank uh, so badly. Oh, my gosh. It's okay. We just spend. We, we'll we'll just find a way for potential to have a break, and we'll just bring back my my character from the Uska yeah. base, and we'll sure have a little wild magic Gora barbarian for funsies. Yeah. Or just um, make sure that we have um, flops. Oh my god, the oh flops! So good. <laughs> so let's um. Well, speaking of rolling on tables, um, potential didn't the enjoy beans? the jelly beans. You know, she she was not a big fan. Um, you know. It, is it that Potentia, like, is not a fan of the misuse of magic? Or was it more that, like, the consequences were potentially unknown? Yeah, I think she has a very particular perspective on... Well, I mean, we've mentioned that there are different ethoses of how magic is mm. taught in different places. And I think she comes from a very specific ethos around the appropriate use of magic. Um, so I don't know that it's necessarily that she doesn't like the outcome necessarily but the idea of the pure randomness for frivolity's sake Mm. where there's no no definitively positive outcome Mm -hmm. so for example she probably doesn't have such an issue with like fire like magical fireworks Mm. because they have a purpose for the enjoyment of a group of people or whatever that might be but something like this where it feels like someone's just playing with magic in a way that could potentially put people in an unsafe situation. That's, I think, a different thing for Mm. her that's not the same as, like, yeah. Mm. Does that make sense? It's sort of kind of between the two things. It's not about the outcome, but it's about why it's being done, Mm. not even necessarily what's being done. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, like, she's going to have no problem with the bards just generally having a good time and doing stuff for theatrical purposes. Yeah. But is this the same thing? Well, I mean, that was kind of interesting as well, because, like, Potentia really had to put herself in the spotlight um, during moments of the fight. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of curious, like, where that part of Potentia comes from, because obviously we haven't seen that at all um, previously. No. Um... She was asked by Meredith to, or told by Meredith to make sure that it was a good show. Was it Meredith that told her or Gore? Someone. No, I think it was me. Yeah. And so she did. Mm. So she did. Like, to the best of her ability, she did. And I happened to roll really well, which was probably really good mm. in that respect. Um, that was luck, literally on my side. Yeah. Um, but, but I think it was much more about, like, in order for this to be a successful thing, mm. we have to keep the crowd entertained. So she's going to try and do whatever she can, probably not in a truly proficient kind of way, to try and make it such that what is being asked of her is mm. done. 
Um, yeah. I mean, I was, I behind the scenes was tracking kind of the crowd's response mm-hmm. yeah. to things. And it was kind of on a scale from uh, granting bonuses to checks and, and mm. which which you guys got to because you rolled quite well and, and many successive ch- um, checks mm. all the way down to like the crowd rioting Turns basically be- mm. because I and like realizing that this is not a fake fight this is a real fight and people are getting actually hurt mm. yeah it would have been interesting I also um, think- but like it was just very interesting roles from everybody to like keep the crowd on side and uh, I think only when uh, Meredith dropped did that take a big hit mm. to the, the scale mm. and I think that was one of those things where um, in reality like if you think about potential at that moment her performance level probably would have taken a big hit when someone hit the deck because mm-hmm. she's pulling all of the things out of her like to try and make this pretend thing that she doesn't really understand how to keep on the rails on the rails mm. in you know by mimicking as best she can bards that she's now been thrown into an environment with because of this person she knows yeah it makes a lot of sense i mean with the jelly beans i think that's correct ben that you have a table right i do i have a table with uh 100 descriptions of beans and in total 200 effects Mm. so each bean has a uh, appearance, uh, a, a taste, and two listed effects. It, it gives me some flexibility in the moment to see, like, how severe do I want this to be mm-hmm. at the moment? Um, you know, like, do I want this to be a an explosion or a huge explosion? Like, like it 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 is still like it's still in the same spirit of the whatever the bean I roll is, but it's it gives me a little bit like for a 100 possible outcomes to uh, to happen i wanted a, like a dial of of how big i want that mm. to be when i'm already introducing a 100 different things yeah, yeah. and I, I i think that's actually pretty fun like i i kind of enjoy like breaking up things that can be quite heavy with just like a little bit of frivolity in the moment i i think and also everyone loves a good dose of stupid yeah, and yeah i think the audience appreciates it right as well like it's good for like a mental break from some of the other mm-hmm. things that are happening oh yeah to be clear K- kate yeah. loves jelly's yeah. beans oh yeah uh yeah. <laughs> but does not kate thinks they're yeah. great <laughs> and i was curious about this but i never asked like we never find out who wins the match oh yeah because no, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter because we don't even know what happened in the first half. We were in the change room. We don't even know what the score well, Harold was. Harold doesn't even know the rules, I mean. <laughs> Potential's got no idea about the rules, <laughs> to be clear. Mm. Meredith um, is well, just happy okay. to be So there. it wasn't important to the story we were telling, mm. so I didn't cover the end mm. of the game. So but... who won the match, Ben? It's important for the listeners <laughs> so, to know. So, so who won the match? Pharaoh Masters University won the match against the Thelador Vampires. Woohoo! Um, Partly because the Thelador vampires got short on reserves mm, by the end of the match. They sure because did. Because a number of their reserves were uh, unavailable. Incapacitated. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the Ferromasters cubes were able to refresh their team yeah. as they went. Uh, also, feel free to get yourself your Ferromasters cubes 
uh, merchandise at merch.dndoctorates.com. Yeah. Uh, go, uh, cubes. go Cubes. And thank you so much to Nigiri for, or Nigiri, or I don't know how to yes. pronounce your They're from the, uh, uh, the Philippines. But yes, we, I don't know how many people know this, but we actually, we did commission an artist specifically to make that for us. Uh, so that was really they cool. did such a good job. Yeah. We commissioned them through Twitter. So if there's any artists out there that want to get in touch with us, Twitter is a great place to do yeah. it. Uh, because it is the one that the most that we check the most mm. often, uh, just purely by the nature of more than one of us kind of monitoring it yeah. um, regularly. Sometimes I feel like I just live on Twitter. Yeah, I have really TweetDeck open nearly you all really the time. You really shouldn't do that. It's like, 